today on CityCast Denver. Do we really want this? This noise? The annoying Vuvuzelas flooding the streets of our city? Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it could happen if Denver's bid to be a host city for the 2026 World Cup gets accepted. Me, Paul, and Bree are chatting soccer, plus street news. Today is Friday, November 12th, 2021. I'm Alexandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show where I, Alexandra McMahon, give my colleagues pop quiz trivia questions about the Mile High City. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you ready, Brie Davies? <laughs> no. What, what, what building, all right, what building burned down at Lakeside Amusement Park in 1972? The pool building that held, like, their pool? Yes. I- Good job. Friend, give Bria Lakeside question. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's also where they stored um, a lot of the ride pieces to the rides, and I believe that's why the one ride that's kind of like the dead ride on the the property. I think it's the oh. Starlight or something. I can't remember what it's called, yeah. but it looks like a Ferris wheel kind of. Mm-hmm. I think the car, the like cars for that or the whatever you want to call them, were in that building, and they're. They're, that's why they don't exist anymore. But hmm. I could be wrong. Interesting. Well, there you go. Uh, all right, producer Paul Caroli, mm-hmm. you're up next. Are you ready? No, but okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you're a homeowner, so I'm hoping this is an easy one for you too. Uh-huh. In in Denver, you are expected to clear your sidewalks within blank hours of a snowstorm. Oh, you know we have a north facing uh, sidewalk. On our property, too, so I should know this. I think it's like 24 hours. Is it 24 hours? That's my guess. Yes, that is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Hey. Hey. See, I'm not trying to trick you guys. Okay. All right. So, unfortunately, like, this show is not just me giving my colleagues trivia questions. We also do news and talk about the news, and that's what Friday's all about. It's the day where we uh, try and have more fun and uh, give some perspective on what's happening in the city. This week, we have two topics. You know, there's been a lot of news in the last few weeks about just the streets, like, Who gets to use the streets? Is it cars? Is it bikes? How do we make the streets uh, more accessible for Denverites? So this first topic, we're going to kind of round up all of the news in the last few weeks about streets. And I want to throw a question out to you both. Who do you think owns the streets? Because, Brie, I know you drive. Paul, you like to bike. So I want each of you to make your case for who owns these streets. Wow. I mean, I think in Denver, this is such an obvious question. I mean, this is, this is the car. This is the, this is big car, uh, owns the streets. Um, and I think what we have to say, like the shadow looming over this whole conversation, we have to say it is that Denver recently set a very, uh, ignominious record. We, we had 73 traffic deaths already this year which is the highest since the city of Denver put in place its new Vision Zero plan, which is a goal to have zero traffic deaths by 2030. The Hancock administration put it in place in 2016. Um, And it's just horrible. It's It's just a horrible thing and it keeps happening and it seems like it's getting worse. And uh, 
I don't know. I was doing a lot of reading about this this morning to try to figure out why this is happening. Um, and it is complicated. It is a complicated issue. I, I don't even really know where to start with it. But I mean, we could talk about this five-year plan. We could talk about... Um, let's let's start with the five-year plan. Like, yeah, why wh- why do you think Vision Zero is not working? Or, you know, or why is it not going according to plan? Because the numbers are obviously going in the wrong direction. I mean, I think it needs way more resources devoted to it to actually implement it and make it work. Um, I was just thinking about the last um, election we had in the bond. And um, part of the the bond package was referred question 2C for transportation and mobility systems, $63 for that. And that was for projects like expanding sidewalks, uh, renovating existing bike lanes, adding new ones. Um, And then... We had this facilities bond, <laughs> part of the bond, $190 million for a new building. So, like, our priorities are clearly even skewed. Like, there's just not enough money being put towards improvements that would make our streets safer for pedestrians. And this is why we're seeing so many – I mean, there's a lot of components, like Paul was saying, to why this is so hard. But one of them to me is we just don't devote enough funding. Yeah. I um I thought that that's how we were going to start and 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 I want to make a case here for the Hancock administration's treatment of this because I think that they have been doing they have been doing quite a bit it seems to work on this Vision Zero plan in the last five years like I read the the report from five years ago and they it was it's you know it's a lot of data in there it's very data driven analysis they identified a lot of specific locations apparently. 50% of traffic deaths in Denver happen on 5% of streets. So they identified these certain streets and now Denver's new Department of Transportation like consistently monitors those streets to look at ways they can improve signage or street like painting and those things I think really do work. I saw Jill Locantore, the former city cast Denver guest, also the head of the Denver Streets Partnership. She was talking about how that that actually is like a very real and good way to improve the situation. Um, also, the Hancock administration has lowered speed limits on some of these high injury network arteries like Evans back in 2019. They lowered speed limits on a big, long stretch from 35 down to 30. I think that stuff makes a difference. Hmm. I just don't I just don't see it. I don't see the differences happening. I think about so I'm a driver mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not like proud to be a car driver. I'm not like I mean, for. There's a lot of arguments for cars, for sure, and against cars. But I just think about as a driver, even when I'm trying to be a safe driver, so say going down, I think Federal's 40, I think Federal's 40 miles an hour Mm -hmm. in some spots, right? So if you're going 40, even if you're going 50, people speed around you like you're going two miles an hour. And that's a regular occurrence to me. So even with the in improvements and things like I just don't see people even obeying the speed limits in, yeah. to a dangerous degree. Because the other thing is with federal along my stretch on the south part of federal is they've done a lot of changes to the medians um, that haven't necessarily been helpful for pedestrians, though they have added a couple of those pedestrian stops that are like not stoplights for cars there's stops so that p- cars stop for pedestrians and i see people drive through those all the time mm-hmm. like 
it there's no enforcement. However, as a person who's pretty much an abolitionist when it comes to police, I don't know what the solution is when it comes to enforcement. Like, it, even if we lower the speed limits, how can we ensure that drivers are obeying those? Well, I think this is that that's so interesting to me because I think that that's the argument that people who advocate for things like self-driving cars make is you can regulate those things. You can just put limits on how fast vehicles go like that would take away some of our Western individualism. We wouldn't be able to choose to go 100 miles per hour out on that dusty desert highway of our imagination. But on a road like federal, that would really help. That would fix the problem. But I'm thinking about someone like me, who has a 2005 Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get a self-driving car anytime soon. No. Like, I can't afford a new car. And I think that's probably true for a lot of my neighbors, especially folks that drive trucks uh, for work and stuff. So I love that concept, Paul. But I just don't see it being implemented in the n- near future in a mass way. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So I agree with that. Well, I, I want to go back to the the speed limit thing because some other news that came out recently was that Paul Cashman, council member Paul Cashman, wants to implement this citywide 20 miles per hour speed limit on na- on residential streets. And so I'm just curious, like, Bree, again, do you feel like that is not going to make a difference at all because you're saying, no. like, speed limits are irrelevant in Denver? <laughs> yes, Absolutely. I love the concept and I would like for us to do it anyway, because it's in some in some cases, yes, that might actually make folks slow down. I'd love to look at studies of those signs that like tell you like you're going over the speed limit. Are they really effective? I there's one kind of on I think on Alameda. I watch people speed through it all the time. They don't care. Um, I also live in a neighborhood that's very um, car culture centric. And, you know, I'm a defender of that to a certain extent because this is a way that folks gather and commune um, around their cars. There's a car club that meets on my block <laughs> and they go 50 to 60 miles an hour every day exiting our street to get onto the raceway that is Alameda. So <laughs> I just don't, I don't see it making a huge difference. However, it's something we could do and we should do because then maybe we could change the culture around it. If it was a citywide thing, that would be amazing. Okay, I want to respond to that because I want to talk about culture in a minute. But, you know, reading this Vision Zero report and where these traffic deaths actually happen, I don't think these neighborhood streets are the problem. No, no, no. I would agree with you. I totally agree. That was my other issue with it is it's like the arterials, the big streets are where the actual accidents are occurring. Yeah, poorly lit situations between intersections, bigger streets. Like that's where the problems are. This like neighborhood street lowering the speed limit thing. I feel like this is all driven by like NIMBY concerns, like make my neighborhood more comfortable for the way I want to use it. And it's not, I don't think it's actually going to help. Can I push back just a little bit, Paul? Bring it on. I I grew up in your neighborhood Mm -hmm. and we played in the street all the time. We actually had... I learned in looking at other neighborhoods as I got older that alleyways look a lot different than they do in your neighborhood. My neighborhood had an alley that ran all the way through it that was kind of like another street, but cars didn't really use it that much. We were just we just played in it all the time. And I would say in the last few years before my mom sold her house, I watched people's speed limits go up compared mm. to how they were in the 80s when I was a kid. And I don't know if that's just anecdotal, but it did make a difference. Mm. We We played in the street safely all the time i never had a single friend that was hit on their bike or or any never Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that because I, I think that's a change. I mean, maybe this is now the time, good time to talk about the culture aspect because mm-hmm. that was another big point in this Vision Zero plan from five years ago that distracted driving. That's a huge yes. problem. People are on their phones now. People are going too fast. They're not paying attention. They're looking down to see what next podcast they want to listen to. <laughs> I mean, or let's be honest, if we're not these people directly, we watch people's TikToks and their Instagram stories and they're clearly driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is something we couldn't have comprehended. I remember when, you know, when cell phones were first coming into being something that the masses had, hang up and drive was a big um bumper sticker that you saw everywhere hang up and drive my dad actually used to have a rotary dial phone taped to the dashboard of his car as a joke to be like (laughs) and because but this is all we were worried about was people i mean it's illegal in some states for you to talk on your phone when you're driving Mm -hmm. that's not the problem now Hmm. it's like you're saying checking your texts finding the next i'm that part guilty of doing that finding my next um, podcast to listen to filming ourselves talking this is beyond. Sure. So maybe that's what needs to be enforced. Yeah. You know, the other cultural aspect that I thought was interesting um, when I was reading up on this was uh, the type of car also really matters. Like when there are collisions, people are more likely to die when they're hit by a car that is larger, like an SUV, which as our friend, past guest, CPR transportation reporter Nate Miner reported on a few months ago, Coloradans are buying more than ever. Coloradans love SUVs. 86, I think, what was it? 86%. Let me check this. I want to make sure I get this right. Industry data, I'm quoting from his article. Industry data shows light trucks, including SUVs, now account for 86% of new vehicle registrations in Colorado so far this year. Second only to Vermont. 86% of new vehicle sales are SUVs in Colorado. Well, and I'm just thinking of, again, my neighborhood, it's tons of massive trucks, like Ford F-150s. That's like, that's the the car to have. Yeah. As a cyclist, that's the stuff that makes me feel unsafe. Giant car whizzing past me. Absolutely. It's terrifying, especially when you think about some people are actively aggressive towards cyclists in their cars, which is wild to me. I have to say I spent like a couple summers riding my bike everywhere um, and... Just watching, that was the scariest part, is watching people be actively aggressive towards cyclists, which is insane. Yeah, that the enmity between different people who feel like they're on different teams here. Yeah, we're like, all humans. I think that's I think that's another problem with the culture in this place. Like when I when I moved here is. Megan and I, we didn't have a car, and we hate you know didn't want to buy a car, didn't want to change our lives in that way we were used to biking everywhere it's just not possible like it's just not possible to get around without a car um and so when people are growing up you know you learn to drive that's how you get around you don't have any empathy for different forms of transportation just because it's not available and i'm not saying everybody should bike because it's not necessarily an accessible thing for everybody but i think more people should try it you know i was thinking about avi stopper in that interview I did over the summer about like just getting people on bikes is really that would help a lot. Just getting people to try it. Absolutely. That those couple of summers I spent cycling. Um, one thing that really helped me get into it was uh, I have this great friend, Britt Chester, a fellow journalist who rode his bike everywhere. And he took me out into the street and showed me how to ride in the street. Mm-hmm. He showed me how to ride with traffic. 
Um, and it was so helpful because before I was like riding on the sidewalk, <laughs> which you should not do. Um, but like understanding how to sort of navigate the road as a cyclist, you can't control cars for sure. Um, but there's certain things that you can do and getting that comfort. I, I agree, Paul, just getting more people on bikes, um, would do a world of good. Yeah. Cause when you're, then when you're driving, you know what, how people are going to act. Mm. It made like me a safer some... driver. Same. It made me a safer driver. I was really more careful of cyclists. I try to give them as much room as I can. I s- definitely slow way down when I'm sharing the road with a cyclist because I'm driving a giant machine. Yeah. Like, that's what people forget. These are like, I mean, I don't want to be that the transit person who's like, they're death machines, but they're pretty big <laughs> weapons if you're not careful. And you see the city so differently, Paul. I'm sure you can speak to this. Oh, my God. 100%. R- Riding your bike through the city is like such an almost like magical experience. Part of it is you're getting exercise, so your blood is flowing, so you're you know you you got your energy going. The air feels different. You smell things, you see things. But like part of it is just being out in the city. You start to notice different buildings you've never seen before, or like pieces of art. I don't know. Like I do. I'm I love riding my bike around the city. I just don't I'm a I'm a person that does it for fun and Paul you're a person that does it to get around. Yeah. The Cherry yeah. Creek Trail. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's pure joy. It's pure joy. It's the best thing in Denver. It's the best thing Denver has. The Cherry Creek Trail is so good. It does sound very nice. I'm yeah, I'm very curious about it. Well, any other final points before we move on to our second topic about who owns the streets? I'd like to talk about the accessibility component because I think when we get into conversations about transit, there's transit advocates who are like big cyclists generally. That tends to be the the type of person. And then there's um, disability advocacy. And they kind of don't mesh, I've found, being more on the disability side of it just based on um, the work that I've done and the friends, you know, my friends and family with disabilities. Um, We just don't communicate. And I would love to know what ways we could bring those groups together to do better advocacy because bike lanes are cool, but like there's this thing like things in the bike lane, Mm -hmm. you know, and I find that really alienating for folks who use wheelchairs because often they are the thing in the bike lane Mm. um, because there's no sidewalk. And it's not like they're like, oh, I would love to ride in the street. But you may see folks who use wheelchairs in the street. Oh, I've seen it terrifyingly on Alameda when there's snow. And this is another thing. We'll get into this when it snows. We can talk about that. But just like we have to come together a little bit better in some way. And I think that means transit advocates really opening up the conversation to be a little bit more accommodating for folks with disabilities to say, how can we make this conversation about you as well? Because they don't want to be in the bike lane, but there's nowhere else to be. Mm -hmm. So we're all kind of sharing a really, and I think Jill Locantori has made this point many times too. We're sharing such a small piece of the pie because cars get such a large piece of the pie. And that's not fair. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And our te- you know, and, and our bus system's a whole other component of this that we could talk about. But Ooh, I want to talk about that. Because that I have a good answer for your question, Xander. Who owns the streets? The Denver Tramway Company. I was reading a little bit about this history, how Denver used to have this like oh, pretty extensive amazing. system of transit, these horse driven train cars, but then later electric train cars. This was a private company that controlled this transportation network. I didn't realize that. Like we didn't have a public transportation network because it was privatized. And then when that company went out of business in the 50s, 
we were left with nothing. And I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I want to learn more about that, that how that happened and how that impacted the current terrible system we have now. Totally. Totally. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, second topic of the day, Denver's new world cup bid. So the, uh, FIFA world cup, it's, it's decided it's coming to North America in 2026. Um, and now the cities in the U.S. are being selected or they're, they're going through a process, a bidding process. And Denver is in the running. And uh, Denver's up against 17 cities and, and only 10 cities are going to get picked. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a soccer person. Are any of you a soccer person or f- football? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but... I want to say that I made assumptions about how Paul was going to land on this topic based on his love for the Olympics. And Mm -hmm. I was so wrong. So, Paul, can you share your take on this this uh, this World Cup bid? I I thought about this more. I'm of two minds of that on this. Okay. Um, (laughs) on the one hand, uh, to answer your question, Xandra, yeah, I am a soccer person, but only every four years for the World Cup. I love it for the same reason I love the Olympics, the pageantry, the international brotherhood, the coming together. Uh, that stuff all really gets me going. It's exciting. Uh, and I think it's important to note, like, this is not the Olympics. Like, we wouldn't need to build new infrastructure for this. We, they would just play the games in power field. Also, it wouldn't all be on Denver, the burden of hosting an event like this. Like, this would only be six games. So it's just, you know, six big sports games and that's cool and it's the biggest sporting event in the whole world so it'd be a lot of eyes on on denver and i'm proud of denver it'd be great to show it off that would be really exciting uh but i don't want anything to do with fifa this is the most corrupt organization in the world i mean anyone that's been paying attention to how fifa operates with no accountability like openly taking bribes like they're basically even talking about this in their own internal documentation around the way they awarded the bid to Russia in 2018 and the host bid to Qatar in 2022 a terrible place to play soccer games in the summer we're looking at oh. temperatures of like 110 120 oh. degrees next summer and oh these soccer players are supposed to go out there and perform at like top level it's insane it's an insane idea. The only explanation for why that would happen is massive, massive bribes. Um, and that's just like part of what FIFA is. So, no, I don't want those people anywhere near this city. I'd love to watch the games, but ugh. And <laughs> I, I think city officials or, or Denverite reported that it would cost around like $55 million to, to host these six games. So, again, it's not like a ton of money that we're investing and in, like the returns would be apparently huge and much greater than that um but that's like the booster's job to say that too oh yeah like let's make a point like i know it's only six it's only 55 million but if we're gonna spend 55 million for six games i i don't know we can't make any promises i mean look at what happened with the tokyo olympics Mm -hmm. there was none of that economic boost for the surrounding businesses and and people because everybody was under quarantine who knows yeah it's you know really unpredictable it's a risk my my issue is uh, i mean obviously beyond fifa being totally corrupt uh i don't like what our city tends to do when we do when we attract big events which is generally to try to hide our homeless population so i would be concerned that our houseless neighbors would see extreme aggression towards them at the behest of the city as they're doing right now with sweeps but it would be you know up 
10 notches from that. And I don't want to see that. Um, The only other thing I could think that might be a bonus is if street vendors and other people who sort of operate in the alternative economies, busking and things like that, were able to freely do their work, then I would be like, okay, maybe. Because, you know, pedicab drivers, people that make and sell burritos, um, musicians that busk, these kinds of events are actually pretty lucrative for them if they're able to do their jobs um, unbothered. I mean, so to say nothing that, of the small businesses and the, you know, restaurants yeah. and stuff that are in the area of the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And I live in the, you know what I mean? I live five minutes from the stadium. Mm. So I'd be curious to see if those things were able to operate as usual, then it might be a good thing. But I, I'm with you, Paul. I think we don't really need to have anything to do with FIFA. <laughs> it would be nice. Um to like get the excitement around soccer in the city a little bit more. I think that's a just a fun culture to be a part of. It's different. Well, it's an and it's an international game. So you see people from all over the world like coming together to cheer each other as to where like I feel like there's almost like a separation here like if you're a Wisconsin fan or whatever, you go to a Wisconsin bar to watch a game or you go to you know what I mean? But like I I used to work above the Irish Snug mm. and they played World Cup games and it was like actually the most fun time to be at the bar. Hmm. Cuz it was like people from all over watching games all day cuz the games, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. time the time differences. It was so much fun. So I feel you, Paul. I think that could be a cool thing too. Yeah. Alexander, would you uh would you want to go Get a get a ticket, go see one. Uh, I don't know. When's when's the next women's World Cup? That's all I care about. <laughs> the US tw- okay. The US women's national team is like literally the only aspect of soccer that I follow because they're amazing. I was gonna say this is pretty badass. Yeah. This is a conversation that has been had, so I won't rehash it, but they should be getting way more attention than the men's teams and uh obviously getting paid equitably but anyways fifa yikes just the lack of accountability if anyone wants to read about any of that by the way there's a great website that's been leaking doc internal documents from these like major sports governing bodies for a few years called football leaks um maybe we could drop a link to this article from the new yorker profiling the organization into the show notes uh because just like spend some time on here get upset you know this is rage fuel enjoy (laughs) <laughs> I will say uh, in the Denverite article, it did say that the um, the bids that are happening this time around after all the corruption was exposed, like human rights organizations are involved. Like there's just like a lot of um, changes, quote unquote, mm. that have been put in place to make sure that FIFA behaves and this is like done fairly. But who knows? It's such a Denver thing to go after Something like this after it's exposed for being this total nightmare corrupt organization. Denver's like, uh, hey. We're like, now we might have a chance. uh, Yeah. Sounds like our kind of bag. So bring it on over. Maybe we should have put that on the bond. Like how a big bribe for FIFA. (laughs) We should vote on the size of the bribe. Yes. Everyone pitch in. All right. Well, this was fun. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Alexandra. Yeah, thanks, Alexandra. Thanks, Paul. Of course. Thanks, Bree. Hey, thanks to the listeners. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks, yeah, listeners. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, I just want to say to you, you all have left us some really nice um, reviews on Apple Podcasts. And we do read every single one of them. And sometimes they make me cry. But 
sometimes they make me feel so good and I we just appreciate you so much Aww. so thanks for yeah. listening and if you're new to the show welcome stick with Hi. us we'll be back on Monday expect this kind of conversation every Friday and that's all for today here on CityCast Denver our producers this week were Paul Caroli and me Alexandra McMahon Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter our host is Bree Davies And our music is by Los Mochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver. And leave us a review, like Brie was talking about, on Apple Podcasts. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. And we'll be back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, everyone. Put some oil on that chain and some air in those tires. Take take your bike out this weekend. Oh, yeah. It'll still be kind of nice. Yeah. Perfect fall time for a bike ride. See you all on the Cherry Creek Trail. Live from Alexandra's closet. It's Friday morning.